Our sermon today will come from the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, verses 7 to 9. We will read from verse 1 to 9, but we will consider those three verses, verse 7, verse 8, and verse 9. Um, I will read Proverbs 30. The words of Agar, son of Jackie, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely, I am, I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his feasts? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. That is the word of God. Before we start with a sermon, let us turn to God once more uh, for help. Our God and our Lord, we ask once more that you may be with us as we consider your word. We have sung that, that the joys you bestow and the mercies that you show are for those who will trust and obey. We pray that you will help us to obey, that at the end we will turn to you and we will do what your word says. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I, I like to study the book of Proverbs um, and Ecclesiastes because this is a book of wisdom. One reason why I like Proverbs especially is because of the way it summarizes doctrines into small statements. Statements that you can, if you have, say, five minutes to share your thoughts with someone or to share the gospel with someone, if, you're, uh, if you have studied the book of Proverbs well, you will find that proverb that is fitting for almost every situation. And these three verses that we are going to look at, verse 7, 8, and 9 of Proverbs 30, uh, is such an example of such a short text that can summarize a very big doctrine, which we are going to see. Uh, we are going to consider four things uh, as we study these three verses. Uh, at the, end of, at the end of the sermon number one, um, you notice that 
I have named the sermon every Christian's prayer and I have canceled uh, a wise man's prayer. Uh, this is because this, this particular text, these three verses have been called the wise man's prayer. People know them as uh, a wise man's prayer. It is a wise man's prayer, but um, we will see why I think a Christian's prayer is more fitting a title. Number two, we will look at the implications there are on our part if the prayer is indeed every Christian's prayer. Uh, number three, we will consider, uh, the prayer has two petitions. We will consider first, the first petition, which is remove far from me falsehood and lying. And then second, we will consider, I mean, before we will consider the second petition, uh, give me neither poverty nor riches. Uh, Psalm 30 has been written by, as we can see in verse 1, by Agar, son of Jackie. It is, it is not known who this person is, but we know that there is no any particular text that finds itself in the Bible by mistake. This is God-inspired, and this is wisdom. Uh, there are some people who think that it is written by Solomon, and that is because Agar means a person who um, assembles people, convinces people to share wisdom, and we know that Solomon is associated with wisdom. He is the wise one. And Jake means uh, an obedient person. So this would be um, people say this could be David. David is known as the obedient one. So it is Solomon, son of David. But it is, there is no proof to, to that. That is not the point. We want to look at this prayer, verse 7, 8, and 9. Two things I ask of you, deny them, not me, before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. I want you to um, put your finger there on those three verses. We will refer to them many times. So this petition has been called a wise man's prayer, but I want to suggest a better, a better title, a Christian's prayer. The, the strike through um, does not mean that a Christian is not a wise man. This prayer is a wise man's prayer. The strike through is to show that the prayer is for all who claim to be Christians, all who bear the Lord's name, all without exception. When, when we call it a wise man's prayer, it may sound like someone else's prayer and not my prayer. So I want you to own this prayer. If you claim to be a Christian, the point here is I want you to own this prayer. As Christ gave us a model of prayer in the New Testament in Matthew 6, we have here a model of prayer in the Old Testament, which is very similar to the disciples' prayer, commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. So what, what makes this prayer every Christian's prayer? 
Turn to me to verse 7. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Look at verse, um, verse 5 too. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. These are the words of Agar. So a Christian like Agar depends on and takes refuge in God alone. He knows best to entrust himself to God for both his spiritual and physical well-being. The prayer he makes is his spiritual well-being and physical well-being, and we will see that. So if you turn to God um, for your well-being, if God is your refuge, as we see in verse 5, then this too is your prayer. That is one. But two, the desire to be removed from vanity and lies, that is, as ESV says, uh, from falsehood and lying, can only be a Christian's desire. Is, it, is this not what our Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross, to remove our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west? So to exempt yourself from making this prayer is to declare your unbelief, uh, sorry, your unbelief in our Lord Jesus Christ. For no one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So we see the desire that he has here. It is the desire of a Christian. Number three, look at his second petition uh, in verse eight. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. This is the prayer our Lord Jesus Christ taught us in Matthew 6. Give us this day our daily bread. This, again, is a Christian's prayer. And lastly, only a Christian is careful not to deny God and not to take the name of the Lord in vain. Christians are careful not to sin against God. So, you see, to say this is a wise man's prayer and to make it feel like a prayer that is someone else's is wrong. This is why I suggest this title, A Christian's Prayer. To think that this prayer is not every Christian's prayer is to say, uh, is to say these three things. Number one, that it is possible for one to be a Christian and not depend on God in all his lifetime. To think that this prayer is not every Christian's prayer is to say that it is possible for one to be a Christian and still live a life of falsehood and lying. Surely that's not, that's not true. To think that this prayer is not every Christian's prayer is to say that it is possible to be a Christian and still be greedy for wealth, be a thief, deny God, and take God's name in vain. Surely that's a lie. So you see, this prayer, the prayer of Agar, 
is every Christian's prayer. I want you to own that prayer because what we are going to see next is very personal. I don't want you to see, to see this as someone else's prayer. You're a Christian or you claim to be a Christian on this prayer. What about the non-Christian? So if, if you're not a believer, the non-Christian cannot even pray, let alone make this prayer. An unbeliever is dead in their sins and has no sense of their need, spiritual or physical. The only life that they live is to their own appetites, a vain life, a life of falsehood and lies, as we will see. At best, the prayers of an unbeliever are an, ab are an abomination to God, for they have done nothing but to neglect the word of God. We see that in Proverbs 28, verse 9. So if you have not believed in Christ, today God is calling you. Do not harden your heart. Believe in Jesus Christ. Only he is able to remove from you falsehood and lies. If you're not a believer, you cannot pray for God to keep you from falsehood and lies because that is what you have chosen, falsehood and lies. So this does not apply to you. The thing that you ought to do is to repent of your sins and to turn to Christ. I want us to consider another very special category of people. To you who claim to be a believer, you claim to be a Christian, but do not pray. This is a prayer. We are going to consider Agar's prayer. You're there, you're a Christian, and you do not pray. There are very many reasons, or let me say, few reasons why it could be, it could be that you do not pray. But today, I don't want us to consider all those reasons. Let's consider one, just one. Of the few possible reasons why this could be the reason, I want you to consider this. Could it be that you, your lack of prayer is because you are still dead in your sins and that you need the awakening of your soul that comes by believing in Jesus Christ? It is a possibility. I hope that you're sadly, sadly, I hope that you're just lazy and disobedient. For then, perhaps, there is hope for you. you. can be stirred up by a way of reminder to work out your salvation with fear and trembling and to be diligent to confirm your calling and election. I hope that is the case. But consider this one thing. It could be that... Your lack of prayer is because you are not a believer. That's not the point of today. Having considered those four reasons, I hope you now see that you now see what I mean when I say that this prayer ought to be every Christian's prayer and not just the wise man's prayer. Every Christian should be wise enough to see that this prayer instructs the structure uh, of his or her prayers, sorry, instructs the structure that all our prayers should take.
Secondly, let us look at the implications. So we have seen that this is every Christian's prayer. So what does that mean? Ega's prayer is not a cool quote to be used someday. This is not a quote to make you sound deep or cool. It is not a quote to make viral memes with. To use it like that only would be to, uh, to participate in falsehood and lying, which we will consider again. Ega's prayer is a way of life for the Christian. Number two, this prayer um, ought to be the way we pray. The prayer is not a suggestion. God has put this prayer in the Bible for us to see and be instructed and to know how to pray. It is like um, the Lord's Prayer, when it is a way to teach us how to pray. And the third implication is that failure to pray this prayer or not to have such an attitude as we will see could be, could be proof of your unbelief in Jesus Christ. So to set this prayer aside, prayer for wise people, or not own this prayer, not to make it personal, not to have an attitude like the one we will see, it could be. Uh, it's, it could be proof that you have not believed. Because again, as we have seen, there is no way you will be a Christian and desire a life of vanity and uselessness. There is no way you will be a Christian and desire wealth and riches above God. There is no way you will be a Christian and profane the name of the Lord. So, this prayer, verse 7, 8, and 9. Let's, let's consider this prayer. Let's consider verse 7. Two things I ask of you. Deny them, not me, before I die. Agar has two requests to bring before God, and he desires, he desires to be answered before he dies. He knows that he is in need, sorry, he knows that he needs God. If at all, he's going to a gracious and spiritually successful life. So this statement, two things I ask of you, this statement, deny them not to me before I die, um, or until I die, it's fair to say that answer me so that I can live like this. We do not have any record in the Bible or in this uh, chapter to tell us that either, uh, either to tell us that Ega was too old or too sick or on his deathbed, so that. Uh, he desired to be answered quickly because he is about to die. Because some, some people will say that, you know, uh, deny them, not me, before I die. 
it is not that he knows that he is dying. He knows that his life is short and wants to spend it all in this desired state, the state we are going to look at. His desire to be answered before he dies does not mean that he desires to be answered so that he can die in peace. His state is not like the state of Simeon in Luke chapter 2, who after seeing Christ, as it had been promised, said, Lord, now you are, uh, you are letting your servant depart in peace. This is not the case. He is not saying, answer me so that I can die in peace. The thing is, he wants to be answered now so that whatever time he has left, he can leave it in this desired state. Being such a wise man, a God-fearing man, as we see in the, in the chapter, chances are that the, the prayer had already been granted to him. Chances are that it is more likely that this is the life he's giving. And he was only praying that God may keep him in this state. That is a possibility because he is a wise man. He fears God. Clearly he knows what, uh, what to be godly means. His prayer is, um, you, can, you can tell that his prayer is informed. So it is not um, far-fetched to say that this was his life. He was only praying for what he had, only that he desired for it to be continued. So let us look at the, the first petition. Verse 8. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. The word translated falsehood here means these things. The word means uh, vanity, uselessness, worthlessness. Sorry, worthlessness is more accurate. It means evil or ruin. So, Ega, when he says, remove far from me, that remove far from me, has the implication of total separation from, to separate from as far as the east is from the west. The prayer that Ega is making is this, Dear God, completely remove me from a life of uselessness and worthlessness as long as I live. This is the first petition. Everything that you do without God and eternity in mind is worthless and is falsehood. Consider Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Verse 14 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. Everything we do from a man's perspective 
without the involvement of God, is useless, worthless, and a complete waste of time. I'll repeat that. Everything we do from a man's perspective without the involvement of God is useless, worthless, and a complete waste of time. So pray to God, like Eger, that you don't waste a single day, hour, or minute of your life doing absolutely useless things, that you may do things of eternal value with your life, that you may spend your time, money, words, skills, and affection on things of eternal value. We can, we can list very many things that can be considered useless, things that waste our time. I will, I will mention a few, an obvious few. I will start with television, binge-watching, entertainment, vanity, a waste of your time. How much time do you give into these things? Will you spend things that are worthless, watching things that will not help you, movies? And speaking of movies, um, there is this common thing I hear with, with people. When I go asking for movie recommendations from friends, from Christians, because I know I will get good recommendations for Christians. They will tell me there's such and such a movie, ah, but I wouldn't recommend it. It has one, or one, two, three. So you wouldn't recommend it, but you watched it. So show me where the exception is. You, you watch it, but you wouldn't recommend it for other Christians. That is just a by the way. This is useless things that we spend our times on. Think of gossip, celebrity gossip, but we say that we, we don't do those things, but we do gossip Christian celebrities, celebrity pastors. We do know who has uh, what meeting where, who said what, this pastor did this. That is gossip. Things that will not help you as a Christian. You're very much like people of the world who gossip. Think of gaming. It is a thing, unfortunately, for our generation. You'll find a 40-year-old man saying, just one more game. It's, it's a shame. It's a waste of time. I'm not saying that it is uh, okay for 30 years old, 30 year olds and 20 year olds. It is a waste of time, especially when done, especially when you uh, leave something meaningful to spend your time on these things. I will not dwell on the examples. You can, you can think of your own examples. Think of the obvious internet and social media, endless scrolling. I won't, I won't say anything about that. You know enough about that. Think of work and wealth accumulation. 
you work so hard, accumulate a lot of money, then die and leave it all behind. You know, most of us are, are like the rich fool in Luke 12 than we would admit. Actually, the difference between most of us and the rich fool is that God had already blessed the rich fool. He had property. His was now to sit down and enjoy. Most of us, think of early retirement. Isn't the mentality the same? I will work so hard and accumulate so much so that I can sit, relax, eat, drink. This is, this is what uh, the, rich, the, the rich fool had in mind. And we are like that. Luke 12, 15. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. I will refer you to Ecclesiastes. Read that book. See that everything is vanity. How about, how about lying? Um, the word translated lying here means deceitfulness. To be deceitful is to give any false impression to intentionally mislead someone. Lying, therefore, um, is any spoken, written, animated, or any other form of communication made with the intention of misleading someone. Most of us do not consider ourselves liars, but we are very, very big liars. I, I will show you how. When you give false information or half-truths to intentionally mislead someone, you are being deceptive. That makes you a liar. And you know what? Hell has been reserved for liars and others like them. Look at uh, Revelations 21 verse 8. If you can, turn there. Revelation 21 verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Do we give false impressions about our spiritual lives? This is something that I want you to ask yourself. Do you give a false impression about your spiritual life? Do we like to be regarded as those who know the scriptures and hard doctrines when in reality we are disobedient to the word of God and care nothing for holiness and piety? Two things I want to remind you. One, Matthew 7 verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The hymn we just sang. The favors, the favor of our, sorry, that the favor God shows and the joy he bestows are for those who will trust and obey. If you do not obey God's word, that is, um, I would say, falsehood. You're making us think that you're a Christian, but you're not. You're making us think that you're, obe you're an obedient person when in reality you aren't. That is what Ega is praying to be protected, to be protected from, remove from me vanity and falsehood. That is one example. Another example of falsehood. Consider the obsession with first impressions. Have you ever thought that the obsession with first impressions could be falsehood? Consider the cars we drive, not, not all of us, some. The cars we drive, the clothes we wear, the houses we live in, the restaurants we go to, the photos we post on our social media pages. Some of us do all these things to give an impression of us that is not true. That is hypocrisy and a life of lying. If you're going to make a first impression as someone who has, say it's a business meeting, someone who is skilled at what, at what they do, you, you best be the best person there is. Otherwise, that is falsehood and lying. Some people have business portfolios that are, well, that are big. We have handled from this project to that project. We have, when the truth is you have not done any project at all, or probably just one project. That is falsehood and lying. Pray like eager. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. For many people, financial difficulties are from trying to give an impression that they are something that they truly are not. They spend countless amounts of money trying to sustain a lifestyle that they cannot afford. That is falsehood and lying. You cannot be a Christian and you're trying to sustain. Well, you can, but it is disobedient. You're a Christian who's trying to, to sustain a life... Uh, a lifestyle that you cannot afford. That is falsehood. Allow God to define and mold you into what you should be. And let other people see you for who you are and so that they are able to serve you best. There are some, there are some people who are needy, but they, ha they have deprived themselves of the services of brethren because they have successfully deceived everyone about their financial status. You think of them, wakosawa, when in reality they are suffering. A life of falsehood. Consider the things we say, the things we mindlessly say. 
So you, you have this project, you agree with your boss, you tell them on Monday, I will start on this job. By say Thursday, I'll be done. Sour, sour. On Wednesday, he calls. So how far are you with the project? Or he asks, how far are you with the project? You say, I still have a lot of work left to do, which is true. But a more accurate answer have been I haven't started. Do you find yourselves in such situations? You agree with a friend to meet in town at 10 a.m. They get to town at 10, they call you, hey, Ukwapi, you say, I'm still, I am still far off. And the accurate answer would have been, I haven't left, or I am leaving now. That is a half-truth, that is falsehood. So again, we define falsehood as any communication um, given to mislead. Think of the many times that you've promised to do something and you forget. You promise someone to do something and you forget. You see them and when they ask you, you tell them, I'm still thinking about it. When I forgot about it would, would have been a more accurate answer. That is falsehood. And the most obvious one, to the vendor, Kesho, Squingine. Nitarudi badai. That is that is falsehood. You, you can just say no. There's nothing wrong with saying no. Remove far from me falsehood. Remove far from me vanity. Let us not be like the Israelites that Jeremiah wept for. Uh, Jeremiah wept for. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 4 to 9. Let everyone beware of his neighbor and put no trust in any brother. For every brother is a deceiver, and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor, and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity, heaping oppression upon oppression, and deceit upon deceit. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will refine them and test them. For what else can I do because of my people? Their tongue is a, is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully. With his mouth, each speaks peace to his neighbor, but in his heart, he plans an ambush for him. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? And shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? Shall the Lord not punish us for our falsehood? Let's consider the second petition. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Now, this, this is a hard prayer to make. This, um, I remember seeing this prayer before I was uh, a believer. 
and even, and, and even after I was a believer. But I wasn't bold enough to make this prayer. And I'm sure it is the case with some people. To say that uh, do not give me riches is hard, especially for young people. Many of us have heard this prayer, have thought it to be a good prayer, but they dare not pray it, lest God sees it fit to answer us. And this is why I wanted us to own this prayer from the word go. This is our prayer, the Christian's prayer. Every Christian ought to have this attitude. Give me neither poverty nor riches. I will start with riches. Ega prays neither for riches nor poverty and gives reasons why. We should not desire riches because wealth is dangerous. The more you have of this world's goods, the more likely you are to think highly of yourself and not so highly of God. The more you are likely to think about your own accomplish accomplishments and assets. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 2.15. Put a finger on that and turn to Deuteronomy 8.11 to 14. See the Israelites. God has promised them Canaan. And he has granted them their prayer. He has given them the promised land. And this is what he says to them. Take care. Deuteronomy 8.11 Take care. Let you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery at this point i think the Israelites were like, no way. After you have brought us from Egypt to Canaan, there is no way we will forsake you for material possession. Fast forward to chapter 32, verse 15. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. Chances are, it may not be the case, but chances are that the richer you become, the more likely you are to forget God. It is not rocket science. It has happened before. It will happen. The Bible has warned us. Christ warned us. Wealth is dangerous. There is a danger, there is a great danger in wealth, and yet the average man constantly desires wealth. Fatimothi 6, 6 to 10. 
But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But we, if we have food and clothing, with this we will be content. Listen to this. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Proverbs 28 verse 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. All Christians, and I repeat, all Christians should pray to God for provision for only that which is needful. Give us this day our daily bread. So did Jesus teach to pray. It is very sad that many Christians, especially the wealthy, do not know what is needful for them. It is not always the case, but it is mostly the case. You have a job, you have the house you live in. Uh, say a bed sitter. And then something happens, you get a pay rise, and now you have this amount, much amount of money automatically you start looking for a bigger house. You haven't asked yourselves if you need that house. You just start looking for a bigger house. You just automatically start looking for a TV. You start looking for a couch. You, you know what people do. You do things because other people do them. Very few people sit down to ask themselves, what do I need? What are my needs? Very few people can tell their needs from their wants. And it is sad because Christians ought to know. Christians ought to know what is needful. Has it pleased God? to give you um, wealth, good. It is not for your self-indulgence. It is to be faithfully stewarded for the service of brethren and to the advancement of God's kingdom. Number two, doesn't desire poverty either. With poverty, comes the temptation to steal, which is a profaning of the name of God. Verse, uh, verse 9, he says, um, Lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. It is, it is very likely that the poverty described in the Bible is not poverty as we know it. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, But godliness, contentment, is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. 
But if, if we have food and clothing, with this, we will be content. So if we have food and clothing, we ought to consider ourselves well provided for. Most people we think, um, most people who we think are poor are actually well provided for. They may be poor compared to others, but by God's standard, they are well provided for. In the same way, some of us think ourselves to be poor, and so we do not give. This too is, sin is sinful. It is said, I don't know who said this, but there is what, if you have a shirt on you and another one at home, you have something to give. And I think it is very true. According to uh, the standards of God, most people we consider to be poor are well provided for. We know that nobody chooses to be poor. We see from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 7, from Hannah's prayer, that the Lord makes poor and makes rich. She brings low and he exalts. No one desires to be poor, but very many, very many of us lead ourselves to poverty. We see from scriptures uh, countless ways that one can get themselves to poverty. Some poverty is self-inflicted. Uh, look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 10 to 11. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Sleep, slumber, laziness. Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 13.18, poverty and distress come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. Proverbs 14.23, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. So you see, you see there, there are ways that we lead ourselves to poverty. Laziness, ignoring instructions, mere talk and no action. Proverbs 21, verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Proverbs 23:21. for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. We are commanded from Scripture to be diligent and to work hard for our needs and the needs of others. And when we do so, to trust God for provision of our daily bread. Whether he grants it or not is entirely up to him. But we are we are to be found faithful and working hard. Let it not be that our laziness 
and pride, sorry, let it not be that out of our laziness and pride, our poverty leads us to stealing and by so doing, bearing the Lord's name in vain. Proverbs 30, verse 7 to 9. Two things I ask of you. Deny it not to me before I die. Remove far from falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Lord, will someday, after the Lord has granted you a long life, you will reflect on your life and you will ask yourself these questions. What have I done with my life? Have I accomplished my goal in life? Actually, do you know what your goal is in life? We should start there. Have I done anything for anyone? Have I done anything for God? As a matter of fact, God has already granted you a long, uh, a long life. Ask yourself these things. Have I lived a life of uselessness, worthlessness? Have I lived a life of falsehood? Have I desired wealth, which is all vanity? What, what has God created me to do? Why do I live? Ask yourself these questions. Every one of us should pray Agar's prayer in all sincerity, that our lives may have the value God means for them to have. A very costly price was paid for them, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Sincerely, sorry, sincerely pray that God will keep you from the things that have a potential of spiritually destroying you and from the things that will potentially divert your attention from God. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. So this is the whole duty of man. Amen.